up, everybody? I'm Ken Crump. This is Positronic Drive TV. Today we're going to continue our series on just the stuff that Jesus said. Currently we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to talk about episode 2, Salt and Light, found in Matthew 5.13-16. In Matthew 5.13, English Standard Version, he said this. He said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So what he's saying here, he's saying you are the salt of the earth. Number one, he's saying you are valuable. The use of salt can be traced back about 6,000 years to the beginning of historical civilization. Salt has always had tremendous value to nearly every society. Salt was valued by the ancient Hebrews, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Hittites, the Egyptians, and the Indians. As a Christian, you have value. That's one of the things Jesus is trying to get across here to people. Number two, useful. Salt has been used as a commodity to buy and trade for millennia. So Christian people are to be useful to society. We should be something that, um, something that gives something to society, something that's, that's of value uh, to society. People should be able to look at us and say, you know, thank God we have Christians in society because they are a blessing to all of us. And uh, I'm not sure that's always the case. Number three, it's a preserving agent. This is how people kept meat from going bad before refrigeration. We are to be a preserving agent to society. Without Christian values and civility, society would collapse. Now, there are those that have a negative view of Christianity, would say something different. And, of course, if all you do is concentrate on the negative part of any group of people, then you're going to have a negative view. But that's not really an honest view. That's not really an objective view. When you look at the things that, con that Christianity contributes to society, it becomes a preserving agent. Now, yes, there are things that we do in the name of God or that people that claim to be Christians do in the name of God, that are definitely not positive things, and are not good things, and are actually, in some cases, harmful to society. But when you look at the amount of charity work, um, the, the uh, uh, existence of some type of moral structure, most people would agree that the Christian version of morality is good. There are some aspects of it that people will disagree about, but for the most part, People will say, yeah, that's good. We may not like the way it's presented to us. We may not like the way people can be judgmental. And yes, all of us fall short of that standard, but most people would agree that most of the things that are found in there are something that they find uh, that that is a, a good thing. It's a preserving agent to society. Number four, it enhances. You know, salt gives flavor to food. In a spiritual sense, it gives meaning or takes what is bland and makes it desirable. You know, Jesus was desirable. He never begged or forced himself upon anyone. People came to him. And when we become a source of life, people will be drawn to us. People are not drawn to religion. They are repulsed by it, usually. But also, don't be too salty, because we all know if you put too much salt on something, it doesn't taste very good. Uh, you know, during COVID... This whole season, um, you know, there's all kinds of experiences we've all had. But at one point, my wife and I, we, we got COVID. And uh, my wife had it first, and a couple of days later, I had it. And the most 
the distinguishing factor you notice the most about this and what really tells you is you need to get tested is when you can't smell anymore. You can't smell or taste. And uh, it's kind of weird. And, and what's funny is you don't really notice it at first, but then then you do notice it when you're around something. You, you should smell some things, um, you know, whether it be cooking or something else, you know, you, you notice it. So anyway, she got it first, and she cooked a meal after she had gotten it and couldn't smell. And, and I'm eating this meat, and I'm like, hey, you know, this is good and all, uh, but, but this is kind of salty. You know, and by the way, for those of you that are married, whether it's the, the your your male spouse or female spouse that cooks, whatever the case, the, whoever's the cook in the house, you never tell them they cook a bad meal. In our house, what I tell my wife is it's either a good meal or a really good meal. But I never tell her a bad meal because I don't want to come home the next night and there be no meal because I told her she doesn't know how to cook. So she she knows what I'm saying, and she is a good cook. But she knows what I'm saying when something's really good. That's me saying, yeah, this is something I like. The other stuff, yeah, it's okay. I'll eat it, but it's not you know necessarily something I like. But but anyway, it was too salty. So I you know she didn't know, and we kind of laughed about it. And then later, at one point, there was overlap, and both of us lost our sense of taste and smell. We're like, my God, I hope we don't kill ourselves by eating some bad meat or something, or drinking some bad milk and get sick. You can always tell your milk is bad if it has the consistency of cottage cheese. You know that's no good, uh, no matter what it, no matter what it uh, tastes like. Um, he went on, Jesus went on to say, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? How can salt not be salty? It seems like an odd thing to say. Now, salt during that time, many times, uh, wasn't as refined as it is now, and it would contain contaminants like gypsum and other things that could dilute the salt and affect its ability as a preservative and as a flavoring agent. So in other words, it looked like salt, but it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It no longer fulfills its purpose. You know, we may look like Christians, we may claim to be Christians, but what makes us Christians is when we fulfill our God-ordained purpose in the earth. Okay, Jesus said you know a tree by its fruit, not by what it looks like or what you think it is, but by what it actually produces. You know, and the interesting thing when I was studying this, and I, and I didn't, you know, no matter how much you think you know about the Bible, when you go to prepare some type of study like this, or even if you study just for your own personal enrichment, um, but generally people study when they're going to teach something, you always find that something you didn't see. There's always something. I don't care how much you've you've read the Bible, how many times you've read it, how much you've uh, you you've, you're familiar with it. You'll you'll always find something new. And um, the Greek word for lost its saltiness is actually the word moros, which is interesting, which is the same root word we use for moron. It means to be stupid or dull. In other words, the salt or the Christians become stupid, or that's when it has lost its taste. Um, so basically we become dull or stupid. We forget why we hear. We forget what our purpose is in the earth. And at that point we become useless. Jesus referred to his people as sheep. Um, this was not a prescription or a suggestion for a lifestyle, probably not really meant as a compliment. And sheep actually are not stupid, but they are defenseless. They're able to visually recognize and distinguish between humans. They're also able to recognize their name being called when given one. 
Um, Jesus said this in John 10, 26-27, said, But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, sheep will follow anyone until they hear the voice of their shepherd. And the entire flock tends to go together no matter what direction. Most are unaware of where they're going. Um, Jesus also said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. This is Matthew 10, 16. So he said, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He didn't say mean as a snake and dumb as a rock. You know, one's character, whether they are good or evil, and how smart they are, are two very different things. These are not mutually exclusive things. You don't. You, it's not like you can either be smart or you can be, um, or be a good person. You know, you can be a good person and be smart. You know, Hitler was very evil, but he was not stupid. And that's how he got into power. He took advantage of the situation at that time in Germany and weaseled his way into power. But he was not stupid. He was focused on what he wanted to do, and he ended up doing it. And many of the uh, evil people in the world that have done horrible things are like this. They're very, very smart, but their hearts are dark, and they do bad things. And what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to be smart, even like the snakes, even like evil, but I don't want you to be the evil part. I want you to be good, but be smart also. And many times the world is smarter about life than God's people. But we can be wise and good. The wisdom Jesus is primarily talking about here is remembering our purpose. Our primary job is to win the lost. We need not to let ourselves be distracted by temporal needs, wants, or worldly power. You know, it's difficult in this life to stay focused. It's not easy because there's always something in our face. There's always a bill coming up. You know, when you don't have money, your problem is how do I get money? When you have money, your problem is how do I keep my money? You know what I mean? It's like there's always something, no matter what, there's something there to distract us away from uh, our purpose in life. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about salt. Uh, when we are living as Jesus wants us to live, people may not always like what we say, but they will respect us. If we live morally consistent lives, people respond to that. And when they see someone who looks like salt but has no saltiness, they have no respect for them. We all make mistakes and fall short of our goals, but when we claim to have a lifestyle of integrity and don't live up to it, people have no respect for that. And, and when I'm talking about respect here, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about influence. You know, people will listen to you if they respect you. If they don't respect you, they're not going to have anything to do with you. All right? People will forgive a sinner, but they have a hard time forgiving a hypocrite. So it's important that we live our lives in a way um, that is salty, but we need to be salty salt and not moron salt. The second part of this, Jesus talked about being the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, he said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So first of all, he said, you are the light of the world. You know, light is a funny thing to comprehend, to wrap your head about it, around it. People have been trying to figure out what it is for you know, hundreds and thousands of years. Um, but we know today our definition of it, based on science, is electromagnetic radiation uh, within the portion of the electromagnetic spectrum that can be detected by the human eye. That is light, what we see. Um, not all light is visible by the human eye, though. There are other types of light that we cannot detect uh, without something to aid us. Uh, but without light, we could not see. Sight is one of our most important senses. A person without sight is severely limited in the world we live in. As the light of the world, that means we are to help people see or perceive what is going around, what's going on around them. We are considered the light. We are what gives understanding to things. Christians, the Christians are supposed to be the ones that are out there giving people understanding, giving them light, giving them meaning to life, helping them understand what's going on around them. Uh, I'm not sure that we do a very good job of that. And that's why teachings like this are important, to help us refocus and ask ourselves, how can I be a better light? So number two, he says, our light is not to be hidden. It says, the second half of that says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Matthew 5, 14 through 15. You know, cities back then in Jesus' time were built on hills, primarily so you could find your way home. Uh, and they had lamps that some of them were small enough you could hold in your hand. Uh, and, and if you were to take one of those lamps back then and put a, a bushel over it, uh, you know, you, it, would, it would be useless. It wouldn't be serving its purpose. You have a light, but then you cover up the light, the same as the light not being there. Um, so what Jesus is trying to say is don't hide your Christian life. Don't be ashamed or afraid of what people think. Uh, when we spend most of our time trying to please others, we are subjugating our lives to their control. We are no longer free, but we are slaves to an evil taskmaster. Most of the people you are trying to please don't care about what happens to you, especially when it comes to strangers. There's really no point trying to please a stranger because you're probably not going to have any interaction with them anyway. As light, we need to be careful how we conduct ourselves as it is pleasing to God and not how it pleases others. Neither are we to be belligerent. One can be so unconcerned about what people think that they can be rude, arrogant, and argumentative. We should always be considerate of whether we are being compassionate to people, but not always worried about what people think. So like many things in life, there's a balance there to not being concerned with what people think, but yet at the same time still paying attention and not being oblivious uh, to what's going on around us. Uh, one advantage to being older is that you are less and less concerned about what everybody thinks. Now, you can go too far with that. You know, when you see the old man in his knee-high black socks, boxer shorts to check the mail, 
yeah, that's being a little too unconcerned about what people think, right? So when you're older, you've seen that it doesn't really matter what everyone thinks and that you can't make everybody happy. Um, you know, on a side note here, in churches, uh, this can be a problem too among church leadership. When you have a church, you have to have people in leadership. You have to have some type of structure. You have to have rules that govern that church. You have to tell people no. You have to do things in a certain way. You have a formula, and people, generally speaking, have to find out what that is and be part of it kind of on your terms. But if you go too far with that, and you are oblivious to what people think, and oblivious to what people say, um, you're going to have a congregation that thinks, well, this, this church doesn't really care about me. They don't care about what I think or what I want or what's important to me. Now, again, there's balance. There's give and take. Uh, there is authority there that's God-ordained authority, but it's important for people in authority to use that power correctly and considerately. Well, let me put it to you this way. Churches can be so oblivious that they just use people, even though it's for a good reason, but they, they're not concerned with how to help that, that person. Now, you can't help everybody individually, but there is a point where you can start to reach out to people and interact with people. You can't just set your church on autopilot and expect everybody to get with your program and your agenda and ignore the needs of your congregation. So, don't hide who you are in Christ, but always be mindful of whether you are living your life in the way God wants you to. Pay attention to how you are perceived, but don't be a slave to it. Number three, light doesn't try to be light. It just is light. Being a Christian is you being the same you, but without the sin part. It does no good to trade in the world's baggage for the church's baggage. And too many times, people become Christians and then they want to put on a show about how spiritual they are. And when people do this, it's very transparent and very obvious to everyone. It's like you're trying to sell somebody something that they aren't necessarily interested in buying. And look, that happens to people on a daily basis. You can't open your phone you know, you go to some website on your phone, some ad pops up, or you go to Facebook and some ad pops up, you turn on the TV, there's advertising. There's always somebody trying to sell you something. So if you if you have that kind of approach to the gospel, then you just kind of get lumped into the same category with all these other people who are trying to force stuff on people or trying to get them to buy something they don't necessarily uh, want. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He's saying your motivation shouldn't be to be seen. Your motivation should be just to be the right kind of person, just to do the right thing. Let me give you an example of this, or maybe present this to you in a little different way. As someone who writes books, music, and other things, I do a lot of creative type of things. Uh, including this podcast as one, you know, among other things. Um, I, st I try to study the masters, the people that are successful at these things, and especially when it comes to writing, uh, one such master is Stephen King. Now, Christians generally don't like Mr. King because he writes a lot about the dark side of the supernatural. 
But whether you like the subject of his writing or not, he is one of the most famous writers of fiction in the world. So if you want to learn how to write, it would probably be a good idea to learn that aspect of what he does from him. You know, you can insert your own content later. Um, one of the only nonfiction books he ever wrote was on writing. And geniusly, he called it On Writing. Uh, in one section, he was talking about being honest when you write. And this is really vital and important, especially when it comes to Christian creativity, especially when it comes to um, Christian movies and books. He was talking about, and the example he uses is profanity here, and I'm not advocating profanity, but that's the example he used about being honest when you write. So he was talking about the use of profanity. He said some writers don't like to put profanity in their books. He said, but when a situation in real life would call for profanity, it's dishonest not to use it. It comes across as fake. He also went on to say that you shouldn't gratuitously insert profanity uh, where it probably wouldn't be. Now, I've watched, you know, it's hard to watch anything today without some profanity in it. And and occasionally we'll watch some, some movie or something. We're trying to find out what it's about. And, and it's like every other word is the F-bomb. And I'm thinking, you know, people don't use that word that much in reality. And it becomes a distraction. And I'm not even saying this from a moral perspective. I'm saying from somebody trying to watch a movie when every other word is the F-bomb, it's, it's taking away from the plot. At least it is for me. So the point here is that even though a story may be fictional, and as such, obviously unrealistic, it also should be real, as in this is the way people would actually act within this unrealistic fantasy world. I'll give you an example. The God's Not Dead movie series. Um, to be honest, I only saw the first one. I didn't see the rest of them. I just couldn't do it. Um, it's so unrealistic and frankly demeaning to real atheist college professors, most of which are not salivating at the mouth about destroying Christians. Uh, I doubt that most of them give, give people of faith that much thought. Sure, are there some out there that, are, that may be like that? Yeah, there's possibly some out there that have an agenda. Um, but movies like this dishonestly stereotype people the same way other groups stereotype people of faith. And I don't think we should be the ones using the ways of the world to do whatever it is people are, are trying to accomplish. You know, God's not dead is a stupid statement. Of course God's not dead. He never was. Why would you say God is dead? I don't care if somebody says God is dead because I know I know that he's that he's real. You know, to me... Uh, when I look at the world around me, I come to a different conclusion than the atheist does. I see God everywhere I look. I think it's more plausible that there is some type of supernatural being or something outside of our understanding in this earth, in this uh, place that, that put all this together. I see purpose in the, in the world we live in. And, and that's the point. That's the, that's the conclusion I came to. I used to come to a different conclusion. Um, so these types of movies are clearly propaganda. Uh, the idea of storytelling, whether a book or a movie or a TV series, is to tell a story without the listener knowing you're telling the story. And when it comes to Christians, subtlety is not really our people's strong suit. Uh, other examples are basically anything made by Kirk Cameron 
or the entire Left Behind series or most movies you find on Pure Flix. Look, all these movies have value because they're communicating salvation. I just wish they were written better. Another example um, is when, where I work, there was a guy one day, and we have a bunch of different businesses in this building that I work, and uh, mine is one of them, and then you have these other businesses. You have a subway, you have a bank, you have a tailor shop, you have uh, a store. And this guy comes comes in and opens my door and says, hey, I found this $5 bill outside. Did, did anybody lose it? You know, And I'm like, no, no, none of us lost it. And then I saw him go over to the bank, and then he went over to the subway. And then he went, he went around to everybody and said, hey, look, I found a $5 bill, and I'm trying to give it back to this guy. You know, and to me, that just kind of come off like he's trying to show everybody how, how spiritual he is and righteous and what a good person he is. You know, you shouldn't be, to me, it's like a performance. It's not like it was a $20 bill or a 50 or a 100. It's $5, man. You know, I think whoever lost it will be okay. It's nice that you tried to find out whose it was, but I don't know. To me, it came off kind of fake. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe he was sincere. I don't know. Another example is um, at a church I was attending, we had a, uh, um, a retreat where all the wives went on this retreat. It was like two or three hours away, and they were gone for the weekend. And then when they came back Sunday afternoon, um, we were all out there waiting for them. And the pastor was there with this big bouquet of flowers for his wife. And nobody else really had that. There may have been one or two other people that had some gift or something. But, uh, you know, if I'm going to express my love to my wife with some type of gift, I'm, I'm going to give it to her at home. I'm not going to put on a show in front of everybody. And it kind of made everybody look bad, you know, I, I guess, because now that's the standard or whatever. I don't know, but to me, it just came across as fake. Maybe he was sincere. Maybe, I don't know. But I, I just thought it was, it looked like a show to me, you know? And these are the kind of things that I think really take away. And look, I'm not judging him or the other, other $5 bill guy. Who knows? Maybe they were totally 100% sincere and I'm just being judgmental. But these can be the kind of things that come across as being kind of fake and, and performance-based. Uh, you know, you don't need to force-feed Christianity on people by putting on an obvious, deliberate performance. We need to stop putting on a show and just be ourselves. Um, so Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So let people see who you really are. That's what he's saying. Even with all the mistakes, let them see you deal with falling short. Let them see you deal with loss, how you react under pressure, and how you recover when you fail. When people see this, they will see God in you. And this is the greatest testimony. Most people remember more about how you lived your life than what you ever said. You know, if you look at someone, maybe maybe one of these people who witnessed your life, and somebody's going to come up to them and say that Christians are fake. And they may chuckle and say, yeah, maybe. But I know this one guy, you know, and that matters. When they see the reality, they see that, yeah, you're human. You're not some uh, fake Christian. You're not there to put on a show that you suffer like everybody else suffers, that you deal with stuff that sometimes you stumble, sometimes you fall, but you've got a way to deal with that. And it's something that's beneficial to you. They will see that as being beneficial and they'll start to ask themselves, well, maybe, maybe I need that. 
But they're not going to react that way if you're being fake and you're putting on a show and it's a performance. People, people aren't interested in that. They've got enough of that all around them every day, and they don't need us doing that also. So I hope you enjoyed this teaching on salt and light. Uh, the next episode will continue in the Sermon on the Mount. My hope is that this will encourage you and build you up in your faith. Thanks for listening. Positronic Drive TV podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, and Overcast. If you like our podcast, please subscribe to your preferred program. It'd also be awesome if you follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also donate through Anchor and help us spread the message of God's love. Hope this has been a blessing to you. God bless you.